You are listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. For more information on my book and other resources, check out yellingcurebook.com. And if you like my show, then I want to tell you about a hilarious parenting podcast called What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. It's hosted by Amy and Margaret, who are both comedians and moms of three. But that's where the similarities end because Margaret is laid back to the max and Amy loves making lists and planning ahead. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, Amy and Margaret wrestle with a common parenting issue using research, lively debate, and tons of humor. So if you're stuck at home right now with your kids, this is the perfect escape. Check out What Fresh Hell, Laughing in the Face of Motherhood, wherever you listen to podcasts or at whatfreshhellpodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Parenting Our Future. My name is Robin McMahon, and I'm so happy to bring you a guest that is going to change your parenting life. Oh, his name is Matt Larson, and he is a parenting and relationships researcher. He is also a technology entrepreneur, investor, and philanthropist. And he spends most of his time on a nonprofit initiative called the Human Improvement Project, which distributes completely free and ad-free parenting and relationship apps. And those apps are In Love While Parenting and The Happy Child. Um, And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And these apps, I just have to tell you, are so popular. They have parents, over 100,000 parents installing these apps each month in over 165 countries, and that's 15 languages. So Matt, thank you for being here. And thank you for what you're doing to change the dynamic of the parent-child relationship. Oh, well, thank you for having me, Robin. Yeah, it's so nice to have you here. And the first thing I want to ask you about is the the Human Improvement Project. What is that all about? So we're a, a nonprofit research organization that really focuses on one key question, which is what are the, th- the things that make the biggest impact to long-term well-being? Because what we know is that as parents, every week or every month, some new study comes out Maybe this month it's blueberries are good for you. And so us as parents will run out and go buy a bunch of blueberries. And then the next month it's some other study about doing more push-ups or something. And so parents tend to go from item to item. And what we, what we found out in our studies, because we study everything you can imagine that might impact long-term well-being, mm-hmm. is that most of those make almost no difference to long-term well-being. So our job is to figure out which things make the biggest impact Mm -hmm. and then educate parents and people who are inside of romantic relationships what Mm -hmm. those are, what are those those biggest issues. And what we've basically found, which surprised us, was that there's really two issues that make the, along with genetics, that make the biggest difference in long-term well-being. And most parents aren't even aware of, of what they are. And so what we're doing as an organization is is both furthering doing research like that we we fund that inside of universities and we do research ourselves so really looking at the things that are the most make the biggest impact in long-term well-being um, for parents and and just like what you said like there are times where we get mixed messages and as parents it's really confusing like 
we all want to know the thing that is going to make the most difference for our kids. And we do get caught up and we get confused. We get caught up in the, in the behavior of today, which we worry about because we don't know if the behavior our child is displaying today, let's say your child hits or is swearing or is talking back or, you know, is really disrespectful or, or their behavior is wild. Well, what does that mean for the future? Right. And that can really scare us and narrow our view and, and not look at the things that really do matter. So I'm excited to dive into those two categories of, of things that make the biggest impact. So um, tell me then, and, and I want to save that for a minute. So tell me where the, the Happiest Child app comes in then. So the app really teaches the fundamental research of what, what we've found. It, it teaches how relatively recent technology allowed us to have these breakthroughs. So this isn't something where we we've, you know, have been running the same test that we've been running for the last you know, couple hundred years. There, there has been new technology that essentially allows us to peer inside the human brain during these, these situations that we thought we understood, but it turns out that we don't. So for example, if uh, a common mistake that we find that parents make is that when a, a, a child is upset, that they minimize their feelings. So they'll say, that's really not that big of a deal. You, you know, your toy's broken. You've got lots of, you know, toys. This is not even one of your favorite toys. Why are you getting upset about it? And the parent is trying to help. Um, but once we had technology like fMRI machines where we could watch what was happening inside the brain during those interactions, mm -hmm. what, we, what we found was that the threatened parts of the child's brain would light up even though the parent's trying to help. And so that was interesting. Well, why is that? And so there were a lot of these situations that basically were discovered that we were then able to figure out, oh, well, you know, this is maybe why the, the child's uh, threatened part of their brains are lighting up and what can we do instead? And then could try other better approaches and see that, ah, now the parts of their brain that are lighting up are the, the calm parts of their brain or the part that, you know, are building deep relationships. So, um, the app basically teaches the underlying research and science of all of that. But then most importantly, it really focuses on what parents can do to, to, to change that. What parents can do to really significantly alter the long-term well-being of, of their child. Um, so that's basically what the app does. That is fascinating. And I think that what we're talking about here is fact-based, science-based, research-based knowledge. And you know what? It just makes it so much easier for parents to say, okay, if that's it, then I can do that, right? Minimizing it doesn't, doesn't help, but actually validating feelings is what's helping, right? That's validating right. feelings, letting your child know it's okay to feel your feelings and be upset. And really, this is what I've been talking about for years with the, the work that I do. And so to have it all backed up by science is just so awesome and really, really gives the power to the parents because we can just say, this is what works. And we don't need to, we don't need to argue about it because it is just what it is, right? That's right, that's right. What One of the things that we've found is that it's really important that children have deep bonds. I, so if, if we have a, a, a child that has a deep bond with one parent, that's good. It's certainly better than zero if they have a deep bond with both parents or, or you know, multiple parent figures, depending on the, the situation, that's even better. Um, but what we find out is that 
the most important time during that, that either builds or tears down relationships is when our loved ones are upset. It's not taking them to Disney World. It's not taking them to a park. It's not having a great birthday party for them. It's how we handle the moments when they're upset that mm -hmm. most build up or tear down those bonds. And so, you know, what you're talking about is, is really important. What you've been focusing on is really important because validating feelings is often during those upset moments. And again, those are frankly the most critical moments that, that you know, that we're aware of. Right. And as parents, it's not about agreeing with your child or not. It could be over something that you think is ridiculous, but it's not about that. It's about you putting yourself in your child's shoes, whether you agree or not, and looking at the world through their eyes and saying, you know, that must be so disappointing that your toy broke, or you must be so frustrated that you can't have the thing that you want, right? And calling out those emotions also normalizes them and helps to build emotional intelligence, which is also what we're trying to, 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 to develop in our kids and in ourselves too, right? That's right. And so one thing that we, we talk about is if you're not there for the broken toy moments, you won't be there. You won't get invited into the broken heart moments later in life. And so, you know, that it really is those little moments that matter. Another thing that is, is sort of a sad fact is that without training on, on how to, how to really build deep bonds with your child, you're statistically likely not to have a deep bond with your adult child. And so when you look at it that way, when you say helping, you know, my daughter here with this broken toy that doesn't seem important to me is really fitting into this long-term goal that is important, frankly, to both her long-term well-being and mine is this, is, are we building a deep bond? And so having this framework that what this, what I'm doing at, during these moments is actually really important for both of our well-beings. Mm -hmm. Because if they, if you don't have that, that strong relationship with your adult child, it lowers not just the child's long-term well-being, but also yours. It really is either a win-win or a lose-lose situation. Oh my gosh. Well, and, and I think you bring up a really important part, a point, and that is that it really isn't until this point in time that we have said, okay, the way we have been parented doesn't feel good and it isn't working and we're left with a lot of wounds. So you're right. We do need to learn how to do this. And, you know, it's, it's people like me who are teaching, uh, teaching the, the parents that I work with, but it's your app. That's also step-by-step step going through how you do this, right? Because it's hard to do and hard to teach what we haven't been taught ourselves. Well, and, and one thing is that, that we find is that, kids inside the same family with parents who are really trying to do a good job are actually treated when we talk about those two things that make the biggest difference um i haven't quite got into those yet but there are yeah. two there are two hormone levels in our body and so if they're optimal then that child is really likely to grow up have long-term well-being and adopt the morals of the family if they're not optimal, they're likely to grow up, have low well-being, and reject the morals of the family. And inside of the same family, those children will have very different hormone levels. So it's not even as if some families are really good at it and some are bad. It's inside the same family, they will have very different levels because the parents are accidentally subtly treating children slightly differently because they don't 
really understand these hormone levels. They don't understand what's really going on. And so they get these very different results, even though it seems like, well, I think I'm the same parent. Well, they're really not. They're in these very subtle, small ways that they're not aware of. They're actually treating these children very differently and, and causing these hormone levels to be very different. And so that could be a result of uh, kids having really opposite temperaments, let's say. You've got a really agreeable child, you've got a child that's just a little bit, you know, more pushing your buttons maybe, or more uh, independent, and that's hard for you as a parent to deal with. And so you are unintentionally uh, impacting the hormone levels in our kids. So what are those hormones? Sure, so yeah, these are, so there's, there's really just the two things that we see that most impact long-term well-being. Number one is cortisol, but only in a very specific situation. It is only in the situation where the child or adult, it applies to both, is nervous that something's going to happen that is going to cause their emotions to suddenly plummet. So an example of this is, and this happened in, 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 this was happening in my family, where I would be sarcastic with one of my kids, and maybe once a month. Um, but they were nervous. He was nervous around me the entire month because he wasn't sure when I was going to emotionally ambush him. And that nervousness is this elevated cortisol that something could happen that could cause my emotions to suddenly plummet. Now, there's a lot of things that can happen that make us have these elevated cortisol levels, um, have children or adults have high elevated cortisol levels uh, in that particular area. But that is the number one uh, predictor that we look at for long-term well-being. The second one um, is, is oxytocin, but again, only in a very specific situation. And that is the amount of oxytocin that you had released inside of safe relationships where you're not betrayed. So these are, uh, oxytocin gets released, for example, if you give your kids hugs. Um, that, that type of thing. And so it turns out that we don't do nearly enough of that. When, we, we, when our kids are young, we give them lots of hugs and kisses and they get lots of great oxytocin. And then as they get older, we start starving them of what we call the long-term happiness chemical. And we do less and less and less of that. And that ends up having this, this negative impact when they don't get enough of that. So in the app, for example, we teach about things like when you pass them in the kitchen, you know, give them a, you know, a quick side hug or, you know, pat them on the back. Um, so, you know, you want, you need more of that. If you're watching TV on the couch, sit up against them. The same thing is true for our romantic relationships. When we're early in those relationships, we hold hands all the time, hug all the time. And then as the relationship matures, we start starving them of oxytocin and that has a negative impact on a relationship. So what you want to do is, is very consciously do things that increase oxytocin. So my wife and I, for example, when we're falling asleep, um, when we go to bed at night, we might watch TV for a half hour before and we'll hold hands while we're doing that. Um, now that might sound like, oh, that's, that's really sweet. Well, we're doing that to have a sweet relationship. We're not doing that because we have a sweet relationship. You kind of have to realize what what is the cause and you know what's the effect when we have coffee in the morning we always sit on the couch up against each other because again we know we're getting lots of oxytocin so when we become aware of these mm. two mechanisms um then we can significantly impact um you know long-term well-being wow that is so cool <laughs> 
that is the most profound thing I can say at this moment, but that is so interesting. I, I love that. And I've known that about oxytocin, right? Like you give your child a really squeezing hug, you know, it really, it, it really is a good feeling. And I mean, that's why we pet our dogs and, you know, that's, you, you can see that in, in animals as well. And, um, okay. So let's talk about the cortisol though, because how do we reduce cortisol then? What do we do for that to help our kids, to help us? Well, so one of the ways to do it is to work on the oxytocin side. So if you do things like you give your kids more hugs, as oxytocin goes up, cortisol levels will go down. So that, that's one thing. Another thing is to be very aware of this in your child and to be looking and noticing for things that, that make them nervous and asking them questions. Like when I asked you know, my child uh, that question and they said, yeah, dad, I am. I'm nervous that you're going to make a joke kind of at my expense. He said it in a slightly different way, but that, that's basically it. So just being aware of it uh, makes a big difference. But the, the, the primary way that you reduce cortisol and really the most important skill that, it, that, it, that appears to exist that humans need to know to improve long-term well-being is to learn how to help your loved ones process, process their, their hurtful experiences. And so when your child comes home from school and has had a, a rough day, if you can properly handle that situation, you can lower cortisol dramatically. Um, whether they were bullied at school or maybe they just didn't do well on, on the math assignment or, or, or so on, um, there's helping them process those, those hurtful experiences is, is really the number one way to help address that cortisol issue. It also is the number one way to build deep bonds. And so, and that addresses the oxytocin issue. So you, that, that's really the most important skill. You address both hormones in, in, in the correct way, if you can really uh, master that. Wow. So what I, what I'm hearing you say is you're validating your child's emotions, but you're also listening to your kids. You're asking questions and you're listening. And I think that's the one thing, if we're going to ask our kids a question, we need to just slow down and really listen to what they're saying and, 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 and put our phones down, like really tune into what they're saying and look at everything from their nonverbal communication to, to, to the words that they're using to describe what's going on with them. And so you're saying, you know, touch them more in a loving way, um, validate those feelings. And, and, and I have a formula that I, that I teach people to validate emotions and tell me if this is aligned with what you're teaching, but it's really to call out the emotion. So it looks like you're feeling blank. So frustrated because I always use because is the bridge, never, but, um, and then two to three reasons why, because, you know, you love that toy because you don't think you'll get another one like it or, you know, whatever, whatever the, the two to three reasons are. And you know that you've hit the nail on the head when your child just says, yeah, right. When your child just relaxes and you can almost see the physical relaxation in their body too. So is that aligned with what you're teaching in the app as well? That's, that's exactly right. That you want to name um, what we call the underlying emotion. So there's these surface emotions of angry or mm -hmm. sad and to really try to name three to five underlying emotions. And like you said, the why are you feeling frustrated because, you know, little Johnny at school, you know, didn't sit with you, you know, at, at, in the cafeteria. Um, that's exactly right. So uh, it's, it's validating that there's, there's also this concept of aligning emotions where if they feel like 
you're in the emotions with them, that, that your emotions are somewhat aligned. Now, not to the degree of theirs. They might be really upset and you're only somewhat, you know, have feel those similar emotions, but that's kind of what you're doing. And it turns out that is really important when we do, you know, brain scanning type uh, studies. That's really important. Another one that I think people miss is this concept of noticing when they're upset, which sounds so simple, but it turns out if somebody's upset and we don't seem to notice or care, our, the, the threatened parts of our brain really light up, which is a little surprising because they're not really in danger. Like if they, right. I don't know, they spilled their favorite drink, they're not actually in danger. So why should you be that worried about it? But it turns out when we lived in, you know, back in tribal societies, if we were in danger, if we were a couple hundred yards from the, from the village and some wild animal came up and people didn't notice when we were in distress, that was really, a, a, you know, something that we weren't going to pass on our genes if we got eaten by that wild animal. So we, our brains are hardwired to say we need people to notice and really care when we're upset, even before they get into identifying our feelings. So, um, you know, if you can create a home environment where you can say, you know what, when one of us is upset, everybody, it's like their head snaps and they look that direction and they go start um, comforting, you'll, you'll find that people just really calm down, the primitive parts of their brains really calm down quickly and, uh, and that home becomes this, this, uh, this emotional safe haven, which is another topic, but, a, but a, a really important one. Wow, I can just imagine what it would be like to be raised in a home where if one of us was in crisis, everybody, you know, was sort of called to attention and action and rally around that one family member. Wow, that would create so many uh, ripple effects in that family and throughout the world, I think, even. Well, yeah, let me kind of explain how, how that can happen. So a really important thing to communicate inside the family between siblings and with, with parents and so on is that each relationship, so let's have a, let's have a kind of a simple situation of you know, two parents and, and two kids. Let's have it a mom and dad and then a, a daughter and a son. So each relationship between, let's take the son, the, the son's relationship with, with his sister, the son relationship with mom, the son relationship with dad. If those relationships are deep, if those are deep bonds there, the, the son will have higher long-term well-being. If any of those relationships are not deep bonds, they will have lower long-term well-beings. So if you can explain to everybody that you're going to be less happy in life if you don't have a relationship with the other family members, then what it ends up happening is everyone becomes very aware of, well, gosh, I need to have, and what is my relationship with my sibling? What is my relationship with this parent and with that parent? And it's in part because we're all selfish creatures, it's in part a selfish thing, but it, it, the whole family becomes very focused on that. So like in my family, when somebody is upset and everyone's heads turn instantly and go over there and start comforting them, in part, it's not just because, you know, we did a really good job raising our kids or something. It's in part, there's this selfish nature <laughs> that we all have of this, I need these deep bonds because it's gonna help me later in life. And, you know, that's just the, just the reality of, of human behavior. But when people really understand that and you, and you ask questions, how is your relationship with your sibling? How is your relationship with dad? When you really make that sort of an internal family metric, you'll drive a lot of this really healthy behavior. You are currently listening to the Parenting Our Future podcast. 
I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. If you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And please don't forget to subscribe. And I would be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating on iTunes. If you'd like to connect with me, all my details are in the show notes. And for a copy of my book, go to yellingcurebook.com. Now back to the show. You know, one thing I I was just thinking of that maybe we could define, because you're talking about long-term well-being. What does that mean? Great question. So, you know, different people define it in different ways, but how we define it is we look at things like anxiety levels, uh, depression levels, Mm -hmm. um, criminal behavior, uh, drug and alcohol addiction, life satisfaction scores. So like, for example, we'll poll or we'll survey uh, people in their 20s and we'll ask them all of those questions. And a lot of them are almost the absence of negative things. So if they don't have anxiety and don't have depression and you know, don't have uh, drug and alcohol issues, then they would have a, a higher life satisfaction score, uh, so a higher well-being score. And then you have positive things like just life satisfaction. We'll ask them questions about how happy are they with, you know, with their life and so on. So, and then we'll go back and we'll also ask about their childhood and all of these different issues. But that's, that's what we mean by long-term well-being are these almost the, mostly the absence of these sort of known things that make life really difficult. And then a few of the, the more positive things, um, mm-hmm. we'll ask about their relationships, how healthy are their relationships? So mm-hmm. kind of a mix of, of both. Yeah. Of those. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and thank you for, for, uh, explaining that. And there's another, uh, term I want you to explain, which is ACE and having a high ACE score. What is that all about? Sure. So ACE stands for Adverse Childhood Experience. And there was a a really significant study that happened maybe 15 or 20 years ago that really kicked off, I think, a lot of the research now that has has come together and that that we talk about. And basically what they asked about, it, it it was inside of Kaiser Permanente had a weight loss clinic where they were trying to understand how to help um, women who are having weight loss issues. And what they ended up asking were these questions about these adverse childhood experiences. So they asked questions like, were your parents divorced? Were you physically abused? Were you sexually abused? Were you neglected? Did you have a, a parent in jail? And, and so on. And they were really surprised to see a strong correlation between uh, people having weight issues and having these high ACE scores. And then that ended up causing all sorts of scientists and researchers such as ourselves to really go into, well, is that, is it just those events that really matter or, and then it, you know, we eventually, it, you know, it came out to where it's, you know, it's, it's cortisol in certain situations and oxytocin and that you really don't have to have these really significant life events that they were testing, that they could be a lot of small ones. It could be that, you know, a child, um, you know, was bullied at school or they had a parent who was sarcastic a lot with them. And so they were always on edge, you know, with, with the parent. It turns out there's all sorts of things that influence those two hormones. But this study really kicked off the importance of really looking at childhood um, and what they call childhood trauma. Again, it turned out to be um, also things that you wouldn't quite think of as serious as trauma the big things that also ended up uh, as part of that they asked if you had essentially a deep bond 
with a parent, or, or sorry, with an adult when you were a child. And they found out that if you didn't, if you really felt like you didn't have anyone that you had a really close connection with, that that also was, a, was an, an ACE point. So you basically got a point for each one of those that happened to you. And then your ACE score was just however many of those had happened to you. So it didn't, ma it didn't matter if something had happened to you once, like if you had been physically abused once or 10 times, you only got one point for that. It was a very blunt instrument, but it turned out even as blunt as that instrument was that it was very predictive, not only for weight loss, uh, you know, type related issues, but it turned out uh, that hospitals are full of high ACE people. It turned out prisons are full of high ACE people, that the homeless are essentially a high ACE population. And so just mm -hmm. that, you know, very simple instrument turned out to, you know, give a hint that we're onto something that's explaining a huge amount of society's problems, uh, drug and alcohol addiction often, you know, related to those. So that study really launched, um, you know, this, this massive amount of research that is going to fundamentally change well-being in our society. Wow. Uh, and it, and it just echoes how important it is to, to parent in a way where you're taking that into consideration, right? I mean, if, if anything, it just proves that, you know, the, the punishment-based parenting is not the way to change behavior and to build resilience and well-being in your kids, right? Because really, you took the adverse child experience and that was your springboard to look at deep bonds and how to create deep bonds, right? Know how to help your, your children process their big emotions. And so what I love is that you, you've taken the information and you've, um, you've, you've bridged the gap with the information on how to do it, which is really what parents need, right? And I, I can't think of a better place for them to go than to go to the happy child and learn about this stuff. You know, this is really important. And it feels yeah. good. It feels good yeah. as a parent to know that you validated your child's emotions, to have a deep bond. None of us had kids to, to be in a tug of war and a battle with them every day and to be miserable. And I hear that all the time and I get it. I was a really angry mom too. I was frustrated. I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. And it was my past uh, early childhood uh, experiences that were getting in the way of me showing up as a mom in the way that I wanted to as well. Right. So we have to acknowledge our past pain too. Right. That's right. I mean, so one of the reasons why it's so important to learn how to help our children process their hurtful experiences, particularly with the little ones, right, the broken toy moments, is that when they have a, a really significant hurt, right, it, it, it's unfortunate that our kids could have really significantly bad things happen to them. If they have a relationship with you where they know I can come to my parent and they can help me process the broken toy, then if something really bad, you know, God forbid happens to, you know, to the child, they know they can come to the parent and the parent can help them process that really significant issue, let's say an abuse thing or an assault. Mm -hmm. um, and it turns out that those incidences that don't get addressed have these lifelong impacts on us. So what does it mean? And look, I, I have a lot of clients who have what I now will refer to as a high A score. You know, where do they start? How do you make sense of, of deep hurts and not having those two, you know, having your cortisol really too high and your oxytocin way low? 
Sure. Well, I think you still need to learn the same basics that everybody else needs to learn of learn how to have safe relationships with your child, learn how to be safe for them. So I think the, the same, uh, you know, concepts still need, need to be taught. Now, I do think if, if you go through that process and you find it particularly difficult, like you find that you have a hard time not emotionally ambushing your child and you know, I know what I'm supposed to do. I keep doing it. I keep not being a safe uh, person for my child. I keep, I know what I should do in terms of helping them process their experiences. I just can't do it because I get too easily triggered and so on. Then you might, you know, might need some professional help. I, I you know, I, I strongly encourage people to, you know, depending on what, you know, what, what they can afford. I realize that you know, some people aren't able to, to, you know, to afford uh, certain types of therapy and so on. But if in part, we're sort of like, we're, we're driven by a puppet master of our past almost. You can imagine a puppet master above us with strings and they, they pull those strings. And we, we want to be, we want to recognize that. And particularly if we have high A scores, realize that, that, that we need to deal with that puppet master. And that if we don't, it's going to continue to hurt our relationships, continue to, to make us have a, a, a low level of well-being. So I would encourage you to, to get some, some professional help uh, with that if that's possible. Yeah, you know, I, I totally agree. And, you know, um, I was somebody who needed help. You know, I, I was really struggling as a mom when I first had my kids. And I do have, you know, one of my boys has a lot of extra things going on. And, you know, I always say, we have instructions for everything in life, but here's the here's a human and we have no instructions. Nobody tells us what it's gonna be like. It's hard enough to parent a typical child, never mind a child with extra needs, never mind a parent with a high A score, right? So we we really need to pay attention to these things and 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 also think about these things when we're when we're about to have kids. Like let's look at, you know, where 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 are my hurts and where where is my pain? We operate from the pain the place we were hurt the most. And that's often in childhood. And when we have our kids, they do mirror back to us the things that are the most triggering for us. And it's never our child knowing that or trying to, to to, to trigger that in us. But what happens is, is it makes us feel the way that we felt as children and we were powerless to do anything then, but now we have the power. And so we yell and we, we lash out at our kids and that just isn't, that isn't helping you process what you've been through and also is stopping you from creating those deep bonds in your child, in your relationship, right? I completely agree. And the only you know, other thing I would add to that is that you don't need to be perfect. That oh, thank think, you. Yes. Yeah. That <laughs> it's, you know, we all make lots of mistakes. Yes. Um, it's a, it's a process that, you know, takes time. These are, these are a set of skills that, you know, take time to learn and take time to really yes. master uh, and that you don't have to be perfect. In fact, what we find is that it, it, you know, you're always going to make mistakes. You're going to yell at your kid when they didn't deserve it because you've had a bad day and that type of thing. And it's, it's not those moments that are, or it's not that element that's the problem because that's real life. They're gonna get out and be in other relationships and there's, you know, they're gonna have other people, uh, you know, yell at them and they're gonna yell at people. That's, that's kind of part of life. What tends to make the biggest difference is if you repair. 
So if you do that, if you, you know, you yell at your child because you had a bad day at work, for example, and then you don't do anything, that's a problem. But if you say, you know what, I'm a human, I made a mistake, um, but I'm going to go back to that child and I'm going to say, I'm sorry, or mm-hmm. I'm going to kind of explain, you know, explain the situation. I'm going to talk about, just like you talked about earlier, of, of, you know, did that, when I did that, did that make you feel this feeling because of this? And did it make mm-hmm. you feel that feeling because of that? If you, if you really try to repair that, if you value that deep bond and, uh, then those probably don't have much of an impact at all. It's, you know, they're not going to go out into the world and meet perfect people. That doesn't exist. It's just, we, we, need to, we need to show that when we do get upset, when the primitive portions of our brain do take over, that what we do is we, we repair that relationship. Right. Yeah. I think that is beyond important. I also think that, you know, it's never too late. You know, I, I've talked to adult parents that have adult children and, you know, they have a broken relationship, but you, you can still repair that relationship. But if you can do it throughout the child's childhood, it's just going to mean a, a so much more resilient life that they will have. Absolutely. But I, yeah, but I think people don't want to get discouraged, you know, because their children are older. Like I didn't learn this until my children were were teenagers. And part of me would just cringe thinking about the, the things that, you know, that I had done in the past that now I realize, wow, that was, that was not good at all. And I maybe thought I was helping, but it, it can make a big difference in actually a relatively short amount of time. So even if your children our teens and there, there's not many years left, you know, inside the home or they're, they're adult, you really can turn it around and it isn't too late and it really is worth the effort for both of you, for both them and for your own long-term well-being. Yeah, nothing feels better than a strong bond with your child. I know for, for a fact and it feels so good. Um, I have a couple of other questions for you that um, I just want to end on because I think, I think it's really important. We, we, we talked, we haven't talked about invisibility. Can you tell me what that is? Because I think it's an important topic to just to bring up. Sure. So invisibility is something that some children will report, not all, it kind of, and inside the same family, you'll have one child that reports it and another one that doesn't report it. But it basically means that they feel like there's times when they're with the family that they're, they feel almost invisible as if they're not there. And it turns out that that is, is a, a threatening situation for our kids' brains, like the threatened part of their brain lights up. And that kind of gets back to that example of, you know, back when we were living in, in tribal societies, if we didn't notice, you know, this child walking away, they were in really serious danger. So that's probably, you know, part of, you know, wh- where that came from. But it's important to ask your child if, if that's the case. And some kids will go, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never felt invisible um, around the family. But what you'll, you might find is that some do. And they say, yes, yes, I do. And it turns out then in that case that you want to be really careful about um, noticing them when they come in the room, smiling at them like, mm-hmm. hi, how are you doing? Um, you know, if you haven't seen them in a while, um, making sure that you're, you know, paying attention when they're telling their stories. Um, one thing that we found that is an indicator of how strong is of a bond is when you laugh, who do you look at? So if, if a joke happens and you 
notice this in yourself, you'll notice that you'll look at maybe the child that you have the deepest bond with, which is great. But if you're always looking at one child, the other child notices that when the laugh happens, you don't look at them and that makes them feel invisible. That's part of that whole um, dynamic. So if that is happening and it tends, it, it, we, it seems like we see it more in, uh, in girls than we do in boys, but it does, it does happen in both. It's certainly not exclusive to girls. It's really important to, to know that, to just ask that simple question. And then you can, you know, make extra efforts to make sure that they do feel seen. Wow, that is, that is really great information. And I think you want to make sure your face matches the words. So if you say, hey, I'm happy to see you, like put a smile on your face, like let's make sure you've got sparkles in your eyes when you see your, your kids. And, and, you know, I also think too, I would love to add to that, you know, let's, find ways to appreciate our kids too for things that they don't have to earn. Like, I just love your smile. Or, you know, I just, I just love being close to you. Or, you know, look at, look at how beautiful the color of your eyes are, or your hands look like mine, or, you know, just things that you can just see the wonder and the, you know, the gift that your child is, right? And things that are just belong to them that they didn't have to earn they don't have to hustle for just truly are are just unique about them i think that's important too completely agree and that that so there's this we all have this deep fear that we are not good enough mm -hmm. that when we basically look at all the traumas that happen what all those traumas basically most of them basically build up to this thing of of, of really two different fears either one that I'm not good enough. And that's what most of them boiled down to. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. You know, all these, I'm not forms of I'm not enough. And there's another category, which is the world isn't safe enough, which might mean if you got attacked by a dog, you're always going to be nervous around dogs. But there's this fundamental feeling that we are not good enough. And so what you just talked about is really important because when you when you say things like, I appreciate the parts of you that are just who you are, right? I, you've got such a great smile. Um, that really addresses that deep fear of that we're not good enough. And, but what we don't want to do is say things like, you're an amazing soccer player, because that basically says, well, what if I'm not? What if I go join a, a better league and I find out that I'm not? Or you're really, you know, amazing at school what if I'm not? What if I get a, a poor grade on the school? But when you really focus on these, these characteristics that are either unchangeable, like, like you said, like, oh, I love your smile, or our character traits. So if you say, you're, um, you're you know, such a sweet person, you're such a kind person, well, they're not going to disprove that, right? There's not evidence that, no, I'm clearly not like, like I really, there is evidence that maybe I'm really not that great of a soccer player, but there's never really 100% proof that I'm not a kind person. So yeah. when we focus on character traits, um, they will tend to live up to those. They will, we can basically see that children's character traits are less about their genetics and they're more about parent interaction. So if they're these subtle parent interactions, make them think that they're kind, you will see that child become kind. Whereas the parent thinks, well, no, that's just, they were born kind or not. And it turns out that really isn't the case. It's these subtle parent interactions, which is where most of our character traits come from. And so that's, that's also part of that same thing. But I completely agree with what you're saying that this concept of 
embracing that they're good enough for things that they didn't have to earn that they can't lose is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, I'm so glad you agree. And, and I think too, that, you know, what, with what you just said, you know, with the kindness, they weren't necessarily born kind, but it's those little things that we've done. And the same goes for labeling our child's behavior in a negative way, because what happens is if we decide our, our daughter is bossy and everything that she does now, we're going to see through the filter or the lens of bossy. And that takes us out of empathy and compassion and looking at her as maybe struggling or just us being curious. Like, I wonder why, you know, she seems to be angry or she seems to want to, to push, you know, through to get her way. Maybe she's feeling invisible and she's over, uh, overcompensating for it or something. So I would say also be careful about the negative things that you say too, because often what you have labeled is also temporary behavior, right? Your child is just learning and growing, right? Right. And you know, what we think is that a lot of that comes from, again, like let's say that we have a, a bossy child and we think, that must be genetic, that it must be bossy, but it doesn't appear to be. And let me kind of explain how that can happen. So let's say you have two kids and one of them is not at all bossy, right? He's the, the perfect child, right? This sort of non-bossy one. The second child has a slight amount of bossy behavior, let's say really early in, in their life. Well, the parent will think, I think this child is a little bossier. The child actually picks up on that. Yeah. And the child will subconsciously think, well, my parent... If anybody knows me, it's got to be my parent. They seem to think I'm bossier. I might, I must be bossy. They will then act bossier. And then the parent gets that and goes, yep, that's right. That child's really bossy. And they may never say that. They hopefully don't at least label that. You definitely wouldn't want to label your bossy. But subconsciously, they can still communicate that. And the child says, yep, I am bossy. I get that feedback loop again. They act more bossy. And so you end up creating this this situation that the parent is sure it's just genetic but it often is not genetic it is it's this subtle uh, you know feedback loop you know with the parents that's happening and so you can interrupt that feedback loop by really focusing even if they're rare on the the instances where they're the opposite of that behavior right so in a situation where they're not acting bossy you could, you know, say something like that was really nice how you were sharing, you know, letting everybody go around. And if you're only pointing out those, eventually they'll think, oh, my parent thinks I'm, I'm not bossy, that I'm, I, I really play well with others. That must be who I am. And they will start that mm -hmm. feedback loop and you'll end up creating that character trait uh, in the child. That is powerful. Wow. That is so great. And, you know, the other thing too, I, I, I'll use my own childhood. <laughs> if we can have a therapy session. No, I'm kidding. Um, just my, you know, my own childhood, my, my dad always labeled me as selfish. And what that led me to do is to be a people pleaser because I didn't want anyone to think I was selfish because it didn't fit with what I was actually trying to accomplish. My dad just misunderstood me. And the problem is, is that that label followed me into adulthood and that's how he saw me. He didn't try to disprove it at all. And I was trying to disprove it myself, not even realizing that's what I was doing. So as adults, it does follow you. And it kind of is the record that plays in your head, you know, like, oh, I better, you know, I don't want this person not to like me. I don't want them to think that I'm selfish or, you know, whatever that's it is that I, uh, I've been told that I am. Yeah. That's right. It has, has very long-term consequences. And 
one of the most important character traits, because there's obviously there's lots of them. One of the most important ones is letting your child know that you believe they make good choices. So when they make a mistake, saying something to the effect of, look, I know you made a mistake here. Like, let's say you were selfish. Like, I know you, you made a mistake here and you took, you know, your, you know too much of the, the birthday cake. But I know you don't normally do that. You normally make really good choices. And so I know I don't have to worry about that. Now that will tell the child, okay, you know, th this happened, but my parent thinks I make good choices. Now that's this general framework that you really want where they think in whatever situation that I'm at, my parent thinks I make good choices. So what's the good choice here? Because that's apparently who I am. Um, that's sort of the, the general one that we think is sort of is most important. But in terms of the specifics, couldn't agree with you more that you, you know, you, if, if you have those negative labels, they absolutely follow and have all sorts of ramifications, um, you know, for the rest of our lives. Oh, but that is powerful. What, 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 what our, what parents can do. And I think that, you know, looking at this app and what you've put out also in general, just slowing down with your kids, really choosing your thoughts and your words and your actions and reactions. I mean, that is the one thing I, I always am, am telling parents is just to slow down so that we can take this in and be intentional. Okay, you know what? I'm going to give you a hug right now. I'm just going to give you a hug because I know that's going to be good for you and it's going to be good for me too, right? So um, I love everything that you've said. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom and your insight. And is there any one piece of wisdom you'd like to leave our listeners with? Oh boy, that's hard. Um, I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure. I feel like I've, I've covered a lot. I guess the last thing that I, I touched on briefly is, um, you know, this concept of, of the home being an emotional safe haven. And so oh, besides yeah. the goal of having a deep bond with your child, which should be, you know, which should be something that you think about a lot, drives a lot of behavior. And what you'll find is it, you know, it really helps you um, you know, have patience in those situations is this idea that the home should be an emotional safe haven. And so they'll go out, they'll face the difficulties of the, the world. Mm -hmm. And a big part of your purpose in life is to, when they come home, to have this be the, the place where they can recover, where they can talk about their emotions, where they can process them with you, and where they can then get ready to go out the next day and face that again. Wow, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. I hope everybody here is going to download the app and, and look at the, the really beautiful work that you're doing. Thank you so much for being here, Matt. I have enjoyed every word that you've said and thanks for bearing with me with a, a bit of a trouble recording today, but uh, I just wanna thank you so much for being here and for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much uh, for having me on, Robin, and thank you for all the hard work that you're doing to, to help parents and, and kids all over the world. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.